Isaiah chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdened them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will fuel will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Our second reading is from Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 12, which is page 958 of the Bibles from Thoya. Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfil what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, 
those suffering severe pain, in de- the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralysed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Some 800 years before, King Ahaz had refused to trust God, and so God was sending the great nation of Assyria to destroy them. Assyria would come from the east, but they would come down from the north, and so the tribes of the north... Zebulun and Naphtali, they would cop it first. They were the Galilee of the Gentiles, for they were mixed in with the Gentiles. They would be destroyed first. And so like the people of Darwin and and Bondi in the Second World War, they were the ones living in fear. Fear of the shadow of the enemy. They were the ones in darkness. But, says Isaiah, there is a ray of hope for those people. For one day into the darkness, there will be a great light. What, is God going to stop the nation of Assyria? No. Something much bigger than that. What was it that Isaiah promised? You see it here up on the screen, I think. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Into the darkness there will be a little ray of sunshine in the shape of a boy. Why will this boy, this child, be such a great light? We'll have a look at it. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and peace, there will be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. He'll reign with justice from that time on and forever. Now, 800 years later, Matthew shows us that Jesus fulfills this promise. Unto us, he says, a child is born, a son is given, the son of David, the Christ. The Magi come to worship him as the king of the Jews. John the Baptist, who's preparing the way of the Lord, declares the kingdom of heaven is near because the king is near. And then God himself says, this is my son, this is my king, my Christ. Last week we saw that he's tested as the Christ. He's proven as the obedient Christ. And now the very first thing that he does, the active thing, the start of his ministry, is to move house. Did you notice that in verse 13? Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake, with a water view. A sea change. No, that's not why. Verse 14. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The very first thing that Jesus does is to show who he is, that he is the light. The light shining 
in the darkness. It's no wonder, is it, that Isaiah 9 is one of those favourite Christmas passages, that Matthew 4 is the fulfilment of that hope. If you know classical music just a little, you'll have heard of Handel's Messiah. Unto us a child is given, wonderful counsellor, and he shall reign for ever and ever. Hallelujah. For there's a great light on those in the shadow of death. A great light shines on those in the shadow of death. Can you see how good this is? For it's not just for Zebulun and Naphtali, is it, who live in the shadow of death, in the darkness. Isaiah 25 says there's a shroud that engulfs all people. You see it here in this passage in verse 24. Those who have the signs of the relentless encroachment of death, their illness and disease and demon possession and the paralyzed. This week I read this passage with a a couple from our church. She's been living under the shadow of death, the shadow of cancer, for the last 20 years and she needs this light. This week I was walking around the new retirement village and nursing home at North Richmond where we're hoping to start a a new Bible study group. We wanted to to meet some people and suss out the place. And I was sharing this passage with the man I was walking around with from our church that there is the shadow of death for these people and Jesus is the light that they need to see. We bumped into one of the residents there. He was very friendly and he assumed that we were looking to buy and move in. I was very quick to explain that obviously I was far too young to be thinking of doing that. He said, no, you're never too young. People leave it too late. Would you like to come inside my place and have a look? He said. I did think that I was too young still. But even at my age, and even at your age, we are still under the shadow of death, aren't we? My son just got his peas. And as a parent, I feel the shadow of death. For that is the most dangerous thing he is ever going to do. And will he survive? We put off, don't we, going to the doctor in case the doctor tells us something bad, which is a pretty silly thing to do, but we do it all the same. We have our bucket list that we must get through. And even when we go to the movies, we watch the action of the Hunger Games, but it's really about the shadow of death, isn't it? 
or Me, Earl and the Dying Girl. A great movie. But it's about the shadow of death because it's real for every one of us. Hebrews 2 says we're held in slavery by our fear of death. And who can do anything about it? My Time magazine a couple of years ago, the cover story said, Google versus death. Google can do anything, surely. With their analytical skills, they can analyse the data and work out how we can beat death. But they are doomed to failure. And they know it, surely. The darkness is so dark and there is no light. But God promised an eternal righteous king and his eternal righteous king has been proven against the devil and so you know from here in Matthew's gospel that he will die and rise and destroy the power of the devil. The shroud that enfolds all people will be swallowed up forever. Do you see how good that is? Margaret Lambeth from our church was a lady who understood how good that was. She knew she didn't have that long to live when someone encouraged her to prepare her own funeral, to think about the songs that should be sung, the readings that should be done, what the minister indeed should say. So she did. And so at the end of the service, someone from her family read out her own words, Thank you, and may God bless you all abundantly. I look forward to meeting you again in heaven where we will all see our Saviour face to face. She knew what it was like to live in the shadow of death but she had seen a great light. And so how did we leave the service that day? To the Hallelujah Chorus. For there is a great light that shines in the shadow of of death. Do you see how good that is? On those living in the land of darkness, a great light has dawned. Well, what should you do in response to this great light? If God's given his eternal righteous king, if he's destroyed the devil and the power of death, if he's established the kingdom of heaven, what should you do? Verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What is it that Jesus expects from people? Verse 23 tells us that he went teaching. Teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He went around healing people. And how did people respond? Well, the news spread, verse 24, and they brought the sick to him, of course. Great crowds came, verse 25, do you see it? Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, not just Israel, far bigger than John the Baptist's impact, Huge crowds came to him. This is the heyday of Jesus' ministry. This is the Billy Graham period of Jesus' ministry. This is the Donald Trump, it wouldn't matter if I shot someone in the middle of New York at the moment, I wouldn't lose any votes period of Jesus' ministry. He is that popular. But he calls for more than the crowds being drawn to him. 
Do you see what he says in verse 17? Repent. What does repent mean? We often think that it means be sad, be sorrowful, be regretful for what you've done, which doesn't really fit if you think about it. The kingdom of heaven is near, so be sad, be regretful. Now, there might be a regretfulness in it, but it is not about a sad heart, it is about the mind. The word is metanoia, which means change, meta, as in metamorphosis, but change your mind because you are going the wrong way. When our family was overseas uh, just over a year ago, we got terribly lost again and again and again. And so after a few days of this and the tension that it produced, I said, we are buying a GPS. So we did. And we got lost less often. Of course, with a GPS, you still get lost, especially in a place where you don't really understand the signs or how everything works. The GPS, of course, never loses its patience with you. And if you go the wrong way or miss a turn, it simply says, I'll make up a new route and fixes it up for you. But if you do that too many times and take too many wrong turns, finally, even a GPS can't find you another route. And there is no other way to do it than to turn around. Now, we had turned on the voice, the Australian voice, of course, because we needed to hear an Australian voice in another country. We named him Steve. Steve had an Australian way of putting it. So, after a long day of turning the wrong way many times, finally, having made a wrong turn, Steve said, Mate, chuck a Yui. And if those backseat drivers don't keep it down, we'll ditch them at the next servo. Well, that helped. What does it mean to repent? It means to realise you are going the wrong way, to change your mind and to turn around. God is the king and we have rejected him, ignored him, that sin, we've gone the wrong way. And when you realise that the king, God, his kingdom is now near, that his king has arrived, that his kingdom is about to be established, when you realise that he's come to destroy the shadow of death by destroying his enemies, it's a good time to repent because otherwise you're going to be destroyed. When you realise that he's about to set up his kingdom where everything will be good, where there'll be light, not darkness, it's a good time to repent because you want to be in that kingdom. And so Jesus calls to people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Still, what does it look like? What does it look like to repent? Well, Jesus shows us clearly here. And Matthew records it for us so that we might see it. To repent is to turn back to God and to follow Jesus. And Matthew shows us here that Jesus says that to two sets of brothers. And he shows us that to follow Jesus means two things, to leave everything and to be made into a fisher of men. Let me show you verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter 
and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Who are these brothers? They are fishermen. And what details are you told about them? They were casting a net into the lake. At once they left their net and followed him. One detail, the net. And they left it. Again, verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Do you see there are two details this fine, a little harder to track, but two details, a boat and a father, and they leave both of them, boat and father. Do you get the point that he's making? Very simple story, but everything you're told about, they leave. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, when the rich man refuses to leave his money to follow Jesus, Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. Do you see? And that's what Matthew is showing us here. They leave everything and follow Jesus. For Jesus, the king, demands total allegiance. Not just leave everything, it's what Jesus is going to make them into. Verse 19, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. It's striking, isn't it, that Jesus makes this extraordinary announcement. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, ordinary, don't you think? Ordinary, he goes along and meets some fishermen. But it's very clear, it seems to me, who is doing the fishing. Oh yes, they might be looking for fish, but Jesus is fishing for them. Don't you see? He comes to them and says, follow me. Follow me, says Jesus, and I'll make you like me. I'll make you fishers of men. I will teach you how to do it. You will watch and learn from me how to do it. And I will appoint you and send you to be fishers of men. Matthew 10, Matthew 28, he sends them to make disciples of all nations. To follow Jesus is to leave everything and for him to make you into a fisher of men. Is that the same for us? Is that what it means to follow Jesus? These are particular brothers. They've got four names, haven't they? And Jesus is not here now. You can't physically follow him and physically leave everything. But there were other disciples and Jesus expected the same of them. And there's lots in Matthew's Gospel of Jesus teaching his disciples how to be disciples. And we usually apply that to us as well. More importantly, often Jesus says, anyone, anyone who would come after me must deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. Which sounds a lot like leave everything. 
And right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, what does Jesus say? Make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And yes, it is true then. To repent is to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus is to leave everything. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was under the Nazi regime, wrote a book, The Call of Discipleship. When Christ calls a man, he said, he bids him to come and die. And that's what Bonhoeffer did. For some it will mean physically leaving everything. Like Joyce Pullen, who we heard about last week. 27 years in India. I pray that for someone from our church, it will mean that one day. But for every Christian, it means to leave. It means to sit loosely to everything. Last week we had a Thanksgiving service for a, a young child in our church. It's a bit like a, thank, a baptism service, except there's no water and the parents are not claiming to be Christian or to bring up their child as a Christian. They just want to give thanks for their child and ask for God's blessing on their child. It's a standard service. It doesn't take very long. You be friendly. It works well. And you do the same talk every time. Unless, of course, they come back for round two and you need a second talk. What am I going to do, I think? The child's name is Levi. Aha! Levi comes from the Bible. I wonder what it means. There are two Levi's in the Bible. The first one is the child of Leah. Do you remember? She was married to Jacob, a nasty man, who was also married to her sister. Jacob didn't like her. And after the third son that she'd borne him, she said to herself, Surely now my husband will be attached to me. So she called her son Attached. A strange name for a baby, you would have to say. The other Levi in the Bible is a tax collector. He was sitting at his tax collector booth when Jesus came along and said, Follow me. He was attached to his money. He was attached to his greed, to his corruption, to his power. And Jesus came and said, Leave your attachments, and become attached to me. Are you attached to your family? Are you attached to your friends? Are you attached to your work, to your study, to your hobbies, to your local area? Of course you are. Are you too attached? Are you more attached to Jesus. Have you written that blank check for Jesus? That means that you would do whatever he asks. For to follow Jesus is to leave everything. Or is this, there a sin that you are too attached to? You like it too much. Or you know that repenting of that sin would be too embarrassing and your pride is something you are too attached to. Will you leave your attachments to follow Jesus? Not only leave everything, remember, Jesus will make you a fisher of men. Do you want that? Do you want him to use you? 
Are you asking him to change your heart so that you care about the lost, to give you opportunities to share about the light of the world? Do you want Jesus to take you outside your comfort zone? Do you want our church to change so that we would be fishers for men and women? Repent, says Jesus, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus says, follow me, leave everything and I will make you fishers of men. Is this a burdensome thing? Is this cost too much? Is it really worth it? Would you want to call others to do this? Well, Jesus is the great light. He's destroyed the shadow of death. Why would you stay in the darkness? And what a privilege it is to call people into the light. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have shined a light into the shadow of death. (coughs) Father, we thank you that when Jesus was on earth, he showed so clearly that he was the light come to dispel the darkness to rule over death, and he did so by destroying the power of the devil by his death and resurrection. Father, help us to see how good this is and to come to him for our hope. Father, we help us too to hear Jesus' call for repentance, to see what it means to follow Jesus and to not be attached, too attached, to anyone or anything else. Father, we do want to become fishers of men and women, so we ask Jesus to change us. We pray this in Jesus' name.